Okay, fine. Ksiv ata neri havaya. It is written, you are my candle, or you are my lamp, really, is a more literal translation. Hashem. Vashem yagia choshki. And Hashem will illuminate my darkness. We need to understand why the verse is repetitive and that it mentions God's name twice. Ki'ata neri havaya. It says, you are my lamp, God. Vahashem yagia. And Hashem will illuminate. It should have said, Ki'ata neri havaya. You, Hashem are my lamp. Yagia choshki. Um, you will, uh, will illuminate my darkness. Okay? In other words, since the entire verse is addressing God, we only need to mention him once. Right? Why do we need to say him a second time? Um, now, before we go further, th- there's a, a general style that you find in much of the scripture, until in, in the later prophets, where you have verses that seem to be saying more or less the same idea, twice in different wording. So if you look at this verse, right, the first phrase, Ata Neri Havai, that Hashem is my lamp, right, so Hashem provides illumination, and Hashem will illuminate my darkness. It seems to be the same idea twice. And um, there is a method of studying the Torah where you just say that that's exactly what it is. It's repeating the same idea in different words for the rhetorical effect. Um, Hasidus, and not uniquely Hasidism. Um, most deep Torah scholarship, the scripture though, happens when you don't take that approach and you look for the variations between the, between the different parts of the verse and see how they're actually saying different ideas. Okay. Um, once you conclude that we're not just repeating, the, we're not, once you conclude that we're not just repeating the same idea twice, then you only need to refer to the subject Hashem once, right? He is the lamp and he illuminates the darkness. So even if being a lamp or being my lamp and illuminating my darkness are two ideas, since Hashem is doing both things, it would suffice to mention Hashem once, right? So this indicates that somehow the second mention of Hashem is referring to Hashem in a different sense or in a different way than the first one. Okay, so that's the first question. Are we gonna get to the answer? No. Unlikely. Okay. Or maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay, v'oid, a further question. Ma'u vav, what is the addition of the letter vav when it says, de Hashem yagia, that, that ha, and Hashem will illuminate. But they say vav, the additional, the additional vav, havele lemeimer, Hashem yagia, right? When you have the and, that would seem to indicate that we've shifted topics, you know? Um, I will pick up the kids and my wife will make lunch, right? Right? Um, it seems weird to, to say Hashem will do, Hashem is this and Hashem will do that. I just say Hashem will do this. And if you need to say again for some reason, say Hashem will do that, right? What's the additional and? There seems to be some significance to that as well. Okay. Very common in Hasidic discourses, you have a, a verse, sometimes a statement of the sages and some questions. This is traditionally understood as the passport. In order to enter a foreign country, you need a passport that gives you permission to enter. Really, Hasidus talks about deep ideas that are about our soul and about God. And do we really have permission to talk about these ideas? No. 
is very important. The view of Hasidus is that we don't really have permission to be talking about these ideas. But if these ideas somehow elucidate the written Torah and the oral Torah, the verses of the scripture or the writings of the sages, the sayings of the sages, that, so to speak, gives us permission to involve in these deep mystical ideas. Um, which is a very important view from, that from the perspective of Hasidus, we don't really discuss metaphysics and theology as like a topic in, like our own, in our own right. Only these mystical ideas are, are available to us in as much as they're there to give us a greater appreciation of the depth of Hashem's wisdom conveyed in the written and oral Torah. That being said, once, we, um, once we've done with the passport, right, we, we tend to you know, tour around the new country and see what there is. Okay, so very often, um, the, the, um, the ideas that start getting developed often branch away from the original verse. The way this particular thing is set up is as follows. We're gonna have an idea. He's gonna answer actually the first question. And then in order to understand how he explained the first question, then we're going to delve into all sorts of mystical things that relate to, ultimately, the idea of candles and flames, which is Hanukkah-related. Like, the questions that he has, like, why say God's name twice, why say and, like, where is this written that he's questioning the wording? That's what Torah is. That's how you study Torah. No, but I'm saying, like, what's the source for, like, where are these, where are these words found? You got my oh, mind. it's a verse. It's a verse from Tillam, if I remember correctly. Okay. No. It's not till it's a verse from from Shmuel. See, oh, how much I know. Right. It's a verse. Yeah. Okay. Hinek siv. It's written. Kiner Hashem nishmas adam. The lamp of God is the soul of man. Shenishama sheba adam nikra ner Hashem. The soul in a person is called the lamp of God. Mamish. In a literal sense, meaning shemeir ba dalad asis to shem havai. That in the soul of man shines the four letters of Hashem's name. It's, we say when we study Kabbalah or Hasidus and the names of God are significant. So you want to know which name you're referring to. So it's not enough to just say God or Hashem. So we, and the custom amongst Jews is not to actually pronounce Hashem's names in general. And then the Tetragrammaton, we don't pronounce it all. So when it comes to the Tetragrammaton, we pronounce it the root word which is Havai. So that's, if you look in the Hebrew, that's how it's spelled out. I don't know what they did in the English here. Yeah, yeah they, they, they wrote it out, Havai. Okay. So, the idea is that the, the soul is illuminated with the four letters of the divine name. Yud, the Yud of the divine name illuminates the Chachma in the brain. And the, set, and the first He of the, of the divine name illuminates the Bina. Vav b'midah The Vav illuminates the emotions in the heart. Hey achreina, and the latter hey b'maisa illuminates the actions. Okay. What does that mean? There's something called the name of God. What is a name? What is a name? What? Right, right. It is how you are known. So Hashem's name is how he is known. So how does Hashem make himself known? His name. And where his and his name shines into the world via what? Our soul. Our soul. So we are the conduit to, through which Hashem is known. That's what our soul is. But in in Kabbalah, the idea is that the name of Hashem actually um, refers to different ways Hashem can be known. So the yud of his name refers to one sense of him. 
the second hay refers to, the first hay refers to a different sense of him, and correspondingly, different parts of the soul of the person facilitate um, a revelation of Hashem in different ways. So there's the way Hashem is known through the Chachman in our brain, and that would be the Yud shining, and then there's the way Hashem is known through the Bina, and that would be the hay shining. The way Hashem is known in our emotions, that would be the Vav shining, and the way Hashem is known through our actions, and that would be the last hay. And um, what happens if that's all working the way it's supposed to? This is the main idea of the image of God, that a person is created in the image of God according to this interpretation. What does it mean is created in the image of God? That if a person is living as they should, their soul is a means through which Hashem is known in the world. And so the image of the person, the sense of the person, vicariously gives one a sense of God. And different parts of the person correspond to different ways of sensing God. In the Chachma, in the Bina, in the emotions, and in the actions. Good? Questions? We're getting to the answer. We're getting to the answer. Okay, so, so, are there any questions on this idea? I could like spend hours talking about this, but I assume people want to go through the text. So. Okay. If one has caused damage to their soul in the Yud, for instance, desecrating Shabbos or Bittal Talmud Torah or neglecting Torah study, the divine light in the Yud is withdrawn. So. How do we know which Mitzvahs are which Mitzvahs? You can study Kabbalah. Oh, it says? For yeah. And once you, like, once you understand the basic principles, you can extrapolate somewhat. Or Shapagam Behei. In fact, if you look in the Siddur, on the Chabad Siddur, it actually gives you a, a list of four primary mitzvahs for each um, letter. The first Yod is Shema. The, um, the, the first, the, so the Yod is Shema, the Hei is Tzitzis. No, so the Hei is Tefillin. The Vav is Tzitzis. And the last Hei is Davening. Yeah. Wait, so hay is tefillin? The first hay is tefillin and the last hay is prayer. Okay. And the second is Shati. Right. As it's going to do. As is known from the, from the confessional prayers. So, now, I want to be very clear what this means. Wait, the last hay. That we affect Hashem. No. What? The last hay in there is, the last hay is reference to prayer. What that means is like this. What it means is like this. Um, this is not a precise analogy by any stretch of the imagination, but it will illustrate the point. Let's say you have um, a thumb, what's it called, thumb drive, right? You know, flash, those little, drive? flash drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. USB. A USB drive, you know, those little, okay. And let's say you have important things saved on it. And um, let's say then you erase it. And now you plug the thumb drive back in. Do you have access to the previous information? But you still have the thumb drive? Okay. So what happens if one desecrates Shabbos? And now they go back to get access to the divine 
the, the divine light, whatever that is, that is supposed to be accessible through their chachma. Will they have access to it? They will not have access to it anymore. You lose it. That's right. That's what the word nostalgic means. It means it's withdrawn. Okay? And it's very delicate. Okay? That's what the word pagam means. Pagam means, um, like, if you have a knife, if you have a knife, so when you want to slaughter meat, the knife has to be perfectly smooth. And so the shochet has to test the knife by taking his um, fingernail and going up and down the blade. It doesn't hurt. To, to feel if there's any nicks on the blade. If there's any nicks on the blade, then it's to sharpen it. And if you use that knife with that, then, then the meat is not kosher. So that word is carefully chosen. This idea of pagam, meaning it doesn't mean a total destruction. Okay? And again, if you think about things that are more the delicate parts of our body, right? Like think of, think of like how susceptible the brain is, right? A small brain injury, right? One can lose entire functionings, right? Like a stroke. Um, whereas like certain things are more like, they're more crass, right? If you, if you have a, um, you know, a, you, a small tear in a muscle, it's very painful. It doesn't actually mean like the whole limb now will cease to function, okay? So the idea is that this divine light requires a certain um, wholeness. And once that wholeness has been damaged, that's the idea of Pagam, it, it's defective in some way that the divine light is withdrawn, which is bad. So that means if a person does not live in accordance with the mitzvahs, are they currently embodying the divine image? Right? We said the divine image is how Hashem is known. The different letters of Hashem's name shine and illuminate the different kind of different. This, this kind of sense of God comes through the person and the, and the chacham and the bina and their emotions and in their actions. But if a person has caused these defects, then the, the divine image has been withdrawn from them. So you can lose your divine image. That's what it's saying here. But then, two questions. But doesn't it also affect the actual name of Hashem? It says a lot of things. I, I have a rule when I teach. I only teach the thing that I'm teaching. That's what this says here. Well, we're talking about yeah, but here it says that the delight is withdrawn. It doesn't say anything about going into exile. Maybe other places I mean, it talks about exile. It's removed from us, not how we... Right. The saying is with, it's withdrawn from us. Right. Maybe it says that thing somewhere else, but that's not what this text is saying. But if we can't, if we can't access it, then how are we supposed to do chuvah? Let's learn. This is what it means when it says, and Hashem will illuminate my darkness. Even after the light of the, of the divine image has been damaged, the four letters of the divine name, that even, even after the divine light has been withdrawn, nonetheless, we have access to the divine light through tshuva. In other words, like this. Normally, how do we have the divine light? It comes into us through living in accordance with the Torah and the four letters of the divine name manifest in different parts of us, in our chachman, our bina, and our emotions, and our actions. If, God forbid, a person has caused damage to that, then that light is withdrawn. But there's another light that can, you can still have. What's that light? That's the light that comes as a result of tshuva. So that's why it repeated and said, You are 
my lamp, Havaya. That's a reference to the way the divine light is supposed to manifest within us as God intended, the divine image. And then he repeats, and Hashem will illuminate my darkness, if a person has caused a defect in this regard, they can still gain access to divine light, but it's a different level of divine light. It's a divine light that has to illuminate the darkness, and that's access through tshuva. So it's very important that we have like these two completely different senses of how the divine light illuminates our life. One is the way our soul was designed to be a conduit for the divine name, and that necessitates living a life of Torah and mitzvahs. And the other is once that has been damaged, there we can, Hashem will illuminate us, and now we're, we're in a place state of darkness, so Hashem will illuminate darkness, but that's through a different process altogether, a process known as tshuva. The dai lemeven, and that's sufficient for those who understand. This, that phrase is very common in the Mithlerba's writings, he says it all the time. So just like, Finish writing, he finished something that says Vidal, which is an acronym for Vidal Lamaven. Um, so he, think, he, thinks, he thinks you should get it at that point. Okay. So now, this idea of the, the um, divine light illuminating the soul is something that really needs to be explored. What does that really mean, right? So that's where the text is going to go next. So now, in truth, we need to understand How are the four letters of the divine name Havaya clothed, made manifest in the soul of the person? So we need to first preface a general idea. What is the root idea of the souls of the Jewish people in general? Okay. This is quite common thing in Hasidus, that to understand one thing, we need to understand... And to understand something else, you need to understand another. another thing. And you hope they get back to the original thing, but not always. <laughs> Sometimes, like, once you understand, the, you know, all of the preliminaries, there's an expectation you could kind of figure out everything from there. Okay. Shehein shiva neiris hamaneris The souls of the Jewish people are the spiritual seven candles of the menorah in the temple. Seven flames in the menorah in the temple. Notice there's a physical temple with a physical menorah with physical lights, and there's a spiritual corollary to that, and those flames of the, of the menorah in the temple are the Jewish souls. Kidua, as is known. And because it's known, I don't need to explain it. So we need to understand the idea of the candles in the temple. Our sages may mention them be a blessing. Say as follows. Was the... Does Hashem need light? He's like dark in the base of English. He needs light. Rather, it is a testimony for the Jewish people that the divine presence rests within them. Okay? So the idea of the menorah is... To testify that Hashem resides within us. It's not the same as the Hanukkah candles, or it is? No, Hanukkah candles are take this idea to a whole different level. Um, is it like the blood on the doorpost? No, it's a different idea. They both have the notion of symbolizing something, but... To the Jews? Yeah. Oh, actually, that was also to the angels. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to dive in. 
So now we have to first preface the idea that the light of a, of a lamp, Bechlal Dalad Dvarim, contains four elements. So how many elements are there? Four. Here's the rule in Judaism. If someone gives you a number, it's usually five. It's a lie. It's always something else. So there's actually going to be five. Five what? Parts of a... Oh, uh, uh, I thought it was the five words of the storm. No. Ha'alif, ha'psila ha'delekes al Shenechaz v'nidlakba. Okay, so the 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 first thing is there is the wick, which is a light, and and the light is and the light is grasping it. Okay, so there's the wick. Habez, the second ha'aratzma is the light itself. Hadelik b'psil, which is kindled on the on the wick. V'yesh ba'bez madregas, and that should be divided into levels. Bar hazad this light. V'hein bez minigavne ha'ar. These are the two different colors of light. Aleph Gavin Hashachar Samech Lepsila Shnikra Hurt Nehura Ukma. The first one is the darkness that is next to the wick, which is called the dark radiance. Hasarifu Machla Lepsila Maatmat, which burns and consumes the wick slowly. So if you ever looked at a at a um, like a Shabbos candle or a Hanukkah candle, right, you'll notice that what's actually the flame as it's actually um, touching the wick and burning it is actually a darker color. Mm-hmm. Like a kind of bluish black. The habez and the second or a love and shlamayla is the white light above shnik or hameir. That's the light that actually illuminates. Right. So, um, if you it, the fact that you can like read by candlelight or things like that has to do with this type of light. That's the white light. The nikra or nahuru chivra, which is called the white radiance. Is it possible to have just the blue thing? Yes. Yes. It is definitely possible. We'll, we'll get to it, but um, you get yeah. It's the hottest part, no? It is the hottest part. Shemen, and the fourth part is the oil. Shenim shachachar psila, which is drawn... Wait, what's the third? The, the flame is divided into two. The dark part and the white part. So the third part is... Right. Okay. And you have the oil that's drawn through the wick. V'nivlaba and absorbed in him. Shimlaya shemen, because if it wasn't for the oil, lohea or dodek psila klal, the light would not be... Um, would not be burning on the wick. It would jump and then go out. As is known. So is the oil the most important part? I don't know. Okay. Now, the rest of this discourse that we're going to learn is an examination of this analogy. <laughs> yeah. So that's the rest. That's this whole book is about. Sure, what? Of course. I'm saying are we going to finish it inside or are we going to I have no idea. We only have no we're we're going to we're going to go until winter program and then we're going to stop and wherever we left off we left off. Well, I don't want to start I didn't want to start a new chapter of Tanya and only have a few classes left and stop in the middle. Oh, because we're doing something else for the winter. Yeah. Okay. Vihine. So, let's just real clear. What are the four parts of the lamp? The wick, right? The dark flame and the white flame and the oil. Vihine, beemtsus chivur kesher dad varm elu. It's through the connection of these four things. Yeah, there's two types of flame: the dark flame that burns the wick, and the white flame that's above it that shines the light. So again, the flames are different in three respects: the color, their location, and what they do. The dark flame is next to the wick and burns the wick. 
the white flame is above the wick and it actually illuminates. So it's through these four things coming together, meaning the oil, the wick, and the two types of the, of the light. It's only in that sense it can really be called light at all. Because if the light would not be grabbing hold of the wick, it wouldn't actually be light at all. It would, it would um, jump and be gone completely. It's only when the light is holding on to the wick and burning the wick, consuming it slowly, and only then, through this kindling, can be called light which shines. Which is the main meaning of the word light. And that comes specifically through the lower light, which is the dark light, which is what's actually holding on to the matmat and burning it slowly. So, what he wants to say here is, light isn't really light on its own, because in order to have the light, which is the white part of the light, you need to have the wick. Because what happens if the flame is disconnected from the wick? It goes away. So so the white light on its own isn't light at all, it's only because of the wick. But what is actually holding on to the wick, and burning the wick, is not the white light, but the... What's holding on to the dark wick? Light. The dark light, right? So it's via the way the dark light interacts with the wick that produces the white light. So really, we have to think of the whole thing as a system. Mm-hmm. So even if though the essence of this thing is the light, the light isn't just the light part of the light. Ach! What is it that gets the wick and the two colors of the light to come together? Huraka de Shemendafka. Is specifically through the oil. Because without oil, one of two things happen. Either the flame would disappear right away, or or would burn up the wick completely. In one moment, and then the light would go away. So if you take a wick, you don't have oil, you light the wick, one of two things happens. Either the flame doesn't catch, and you don't have light, or the flame burns the whole wick, and you don't have a flame. You don't have, you don't have, so it's the oil that is necessary for that structure of the wick and the fire to interact properly. Ach, ayadeh Hashemen, but it's through the oil, shunisha vapsila, that's soaked into the wick, husiba sachiz or hate vapsila adlika, that allows the, the light to actually grab hold and burn on the, on the wick, without jumping, because the fire is soaking up the oil to consume it little by little, and through this, so the wick is not burned quickly, and the burning can continue at length. The physical phenomenon is clear enough? Okay. So they make an important observation. This is one of the Mitzler Rebbe's favorite things, is to show how things which are one really have opposite tendencies and things which are opposites are really, in fact, one thing. Um, so this has something seemingly paradoxical. The oil is drawing the fire to grab hold of the wick. The gamma Um, And also, 
that it should um, burn the wick, the lisha v'shemen. In other, in other words, does the oil facilitate the burning or prevent burning? Both. Both. In what sense is it preventing the burning? From it just happening in one minute. Right, right. The wick doesn't just burn up completely, right? But it's, right, right. So it's, it's enabling burning while preventing burning. Right? It's keeping the wick from being completely burned, Right? By enabling the fire to burn more. Like it slows down the process. It slows down the process. But he wants to emphasize that slowing down the process has two opposite characteristics. It results in more burning or less burning? More. Both. Why less? Because the wick doesn't burn. Got it. And it's also like there's too much oil. We're going to get to that. Now there's another benefit. So until now we just said... Functionally speaking, can you have the light without the oil? No. Now is another idea. There's another benefit of the oil. It's through drawing the oil into the fire that the light shines brightly and clearly. That's the white light that shines. That depends on the quality of the clarity of the oils. Specifically, he does his note. So in other words, like this. If you, if you burn without the oil, what is going to be missing? The, the white light. Mm-hmm. So, there's, there's, so you're saying there's a, right, and it, right, this is what you were asking. If the oil doesn't soak up, if the oil is not a good quality oil, or it doesn't come through the wick well, so all you get is like this black burning and you don't get that white light. So there's two different things the oil is doing. Number one, how do you get the wick and the fire to stay together? With the, oil. With the oil, which has a paradoxical quality to it. That on the one hand, it's facilitating more burning. And it's also preventing burning. And then there's this other thing. What actually... Because what's preventing the wick from being consumed more than a little bit? Um, and then you have this other idea that what makes it that the black fire produces the white fire is the clearness of the oil coming through the wick. Comes out that the oil facilitates two things. One is the connection of the light to the wick and its duration of its burning. That's one idea. And the other is that the light actually shines and illuminates. Key. If you were to burn wood, all you have is the black fire, they don't have the white light which shines, you don't have something like, you don't have that light shining clearly like you have with a wick and oil. And that's the difference between fire and light. In other words, when you burn wood, you won't call that ar, you won't call that light. This badly has a consequence in halacha. You're not allowed to read by candlelight on Shabbos. Because they're using it as the benefit of light and fire. Right. And, and the, the reason is because we're concerned that you may adjust the wick and the oil, which is prohibited. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I know that through the... But isn't adding... One second, one second. You are allowed to read by, uh, by a fire, by like a bonfire or a fireplace. And the reason is 
If anyone's ever tried reading by a bonfire, it doesn't work. Why not? You don't get that clear, radiant light, right? It's flickering, right? And so the idea is that if you think of light as this quality that just illuminates and lets you see clearly, you could have more fire and less light. And you can have, on the contrary, one small flame, but if it shines stably, clearly, and brightly, right, actually illuminates and allows you to see well. By the way, um, when we make the bracha you also have to have not a single wick. You need to have, you need to have a, something that's called a torch, a madura. You need to have something that doesn't have that quality. That's why you can't make the blessing on a single flame. That's why Havdalah candles have many wicks coming together so that it's all messy. So it's fire, not light. As opposed to Shabbos candles, you need the opposite. When you have two wicks together, it does, they interfere with each other and, and the flames start jumping around. Right. What? So for Shabbos candles, you can't do that. Shabbos candles needs right. to be but an all candle. But for Havdalah, you're still burning. Then why don't we burn wood? That makes it even harder to see. Who says, who, 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 first of all, it doesn't make it hard to see, but who says burning wood doesn't work? Maybe it does. Do you know how Bachram do Havdalah? You know how Bachram do Havdalah? You know, Bacham do Havdalah? There's, always, there's not always a Havdalah candle available. Two matches. No, two no, matches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Two matches. What? It doesn't work for Shabbos candles. Okay, but you're saying that if, even if two weeks are together, that makes it less of a light than one. Yeah. Because the flames interact. The flames interact, yeah. So the more fire... But there's another issue on Shabbos. The more fire, the less light. There's a whole discourse of the Alter Rebbe where he goes into the tension between fire and light itself. We're not going to go into it right now. there another issue? No. Okay. Because they never made a decree that you can't warm yourself by a fire. That's right, but not everything that a person do- might do, the rabbis made a decree to prevent you from doing. It's a longer well, discussion. Right. Okay. move on Alkoponim. So now it's understood. That the that the oil is facilitating the connection of both colors of light. So the first, in other words, now saying is that those those two different ideas actually correspond to two different types of the flame. In terms of the dark fire, what's holding the dark fire with the wick for an extended period of time is the oil. That's what actually allows us, makes the connection. And the second is what makes it that there's that higher light, that white light, and the quality of its shining is also the oil. So there's two different roles the oil plays corresponding to the two different colors of the light. I want to just tell you something. Um, Actually, no, we'll finish and then I'll tell you. And this happens through the oil being consumed as it's drawn through the wick into the both colors. So first you have the dark color, which is from the which is which is what actually draws the oil up through the wick and burns the wick a little bit with the shemen that's consumed that's absorbed in it. Um, which is why for Shabbos candles, uh, um, it's very important um, that you have wicks that the oil can go through 
Not all materials are good for that. And then the second is that the oil then determines the quality of that upper light. So it follows, we must say that both qualities of the light, the dark light and the white light, were somehow originally contained in the oil. In other words, there's something about the oil itself that produces these two effects. That all that's happening is that it's being manifest from a hidden state to a revealed state in the actual light. Through the oil being consumed by the flame as it's drawn through the wick. Okay, so there's a basic principle of metaphysics that Hasidus subscribes to, which is that if you have something manifest, that's because in some sense it was already contained previously in its source. So what that would mean is like this. Um, that somehow this cup was actually contained in the plastic before the cup was made. And you're just actualizing some capacity of, of the plastic. So if I see that the oil is having these two different effects, one, the way it, the way it brings the dark light, uh, the dark flame and the wick together and sustains them, and the other, how it produces the white light, then that means the oil itself has two different aspects to it that are facilitating those two different effects. And all that's happening is, the, is those are being manifest. Now that means something very interesting about the oil. And this is the counterintuitive part that's never actually said in any Hasidic discourse explicitly, but that they just expect you to pick up on. When is the oil really being itself? When it's being burned. When it's being burned, when it's not oil anymore. Wait. When is the oil really being itself? When is, when is it undergoing, when is it, when is it, when, I'll use this word, when is it self-actualized? When it's like destroyed. That's right. Why? Because, because we're saying is that, okay. that, the, that the, the oil is the thing that has the capacity to bring about these two effects, that the dark light should be burned in a stable way while burning only a little bit of the wick and not more, and that that dark light should then produce above it a, a white light which actually illuminates. And if that's the actualization of the oil, then the oil is actually coming into its true self when it's not act, when it's no longer the oil. The quality of the oil makes all the difference. That's right. By the way, this is extended in other Hasidic discourses to the difference in oil and wood. Because you see one quality about wood is that resists the burning. It crackles, it makes smoke. So there's other elements to the wood than just the fact it produces fire. Whereas the oil, the, the oil just disappears into this process. So that's like the, the, the true actualization of the oil is when it's not oil. Which is why oil, by the way, is like the key analogy for Bittal. You're truly yourself when you're not yourself anymore. But it's you don't run out. It's also, it's cold. I didn't promise that you'd have to like it. No, what I'm saying. Cool that it's literally true. Which makes my trust to be enough. You're not about yourself. All right. Wait, wait, can you repeat that again? The oil when you're not yourself. Why? How? I didn't explain that. I just said in the oil, you see, if the if the oil is Wait, it's actualized when it's burning. And when it's burning burned, it's not oil, right? Right, so then how am I still myself? Oh, in, in the analogy, there's a whole book about that. Like, 
This is we're just doing the analogy. Like, what does that actually mean in the life of a Jew and their service of God? I mean, you know, it takes time to explain these things. Okay. This is the reason why they made decrees that on Hanukkah there are types of oils you can't use. They don't flow well through the wick. The Hanukkah has, candles have to have both elements. The part of the flame which burns and the part of the flame which shines. And if your oil is not going to produce that, you can't use it for Hanukkah. And also, it also has to last a long time. How long do the Hanukkah candles have to last? A half hour after nightfall. So if you light before nightfall, as is the custom amongst Lithuanian Jews and Chabad, um, after the sun sets but before nightfall, then you need more than 30 minutes. So it ends up being like 48 minutes? Chabad, Chabad's custom is to do 50 minutes. Make sure it's at least 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. What, for Shabbos, you need even more because you need to light it before Shkia. Yeah. None of this can happen without good, clear oil. As will be explained, the spiritual meaning of the oil and how that facilitates all of this. And this should be sufficient to understand. Okay, so what do we have here? We've got, we, what's the core thing we want? We want the white light. But the white light is produced by the, the dark light stably burning the wick. But the dark light can only stably burn the wick as the oil is absorbed into the wick and the wick is burned together with the oil, which means the oil is doing something paradoxical. It's enabling more burning while preventing burning. And the oil, depending on its quality, if the oil is what, if that oil has a, has a, has a kind of a, a clearness to it, then the dark light will actually produce above it a white light which shines. And so that whole thing is called the lamp, is called the light. Um, and oh, the, the, only alive if it has a, something holding it. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. So, and that is the analogy of the, um, why, that, and, that, that's the analogy of what the soul of a person is in reference to God. So by saying that we want the white light, <clears throat> it's basically saying we actually want all of this. Right, because without the, all of this, and yet, and, and, and right, so the white, the core kind of, the tachlis, the point of everything is the white light. But you need everything for that to happen, right? But the thing that facilitates everything and bringing it all together, making it right, is actually which element? The oil. The oil. Okay. There's a fifth element. It's the actual physical vessel of the lamp. Which actually holds all four elements. Because try... Making this without something to actually hold it all together. Hashem Silva Arva Kolbe's Gavin. You need something that holds the oil, the wick, and the and the light that's made of two colors. Without that vessel, the whole thing won't be sustained at all. And later on in the discourse he tells you what the um, what the vessel is. So, how many parts are there to being a lamp of God? Five. Four slash five. There's four, and then you have this fifth element which holds it all together. Okay. Good, that's the analogy? Okay. Now it's over. So now turn to page 31. We are now going to take everything we just learned about candles or lamps, and we're now going to explore what that means. What's its spiritual corollary? What's the flame? The white part of the flame, the black part of the flame, the wick, 
the oil. No one said broken. When we're destroyed. I didn't say destroyed. No, no, this is actually very important. No, this is very, this is very important. There's a, there's a famous story. There's a, there's a very famous story. The altar Rebbe, the altar Rebbe um, helped somebody out with something and they gave him a gift. They gave him a snuff box. A snuff box. You know what a snuff box? The altar Rebbe. It's... So snuff is, is tobacco that's crushed into a powder oh. that you take a little bit and stick in your nose. It's disgusting. Um, so, so the Alter Rebbe said there's one limb of the body which is not naturally hedonistic, which is the sense of smell. So why corrupt it? <laughs> like people run, people run after the desires of their eyes and their, their taste and they want the experience. But like smells, people don't like, I need to go smell this thing. So why do you have to like corrupt your sense of smell in your nose? So he um, broke the lid off of the snuff box. It was a silver snuff box to use as its fill-in mirror. Now, this is how the story was told to the third Chabad Rebbe that's Samach Tzedek. And he objected and he said, my grandfather never broke anything in his life. He probably pulled out the pin that holds the hinge together. That's right. There's no, if you, something is being broken, then it's, then it's a corruption of Chassidus. That, that, There's a very famous story, right? It's not like a... Splinter in your... Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever we're supposed to be happening is not... If it, if it, it, there is some element, or just like the, the oil, right? The oil stops being a liquid and burns, right? But if, it, if, if, there, if it's going to be experienced in a way that has a, a violence or a destructive quality to it, then it's, that's a sign that it's being done wrong. That was the point of the Tzemach saying that. It could be that he dismantled the thing, but he would do it in a way that wasn't destructive, right? You pull out the pin, so. Okay, Vihine. So we're now in chapter two. Hanimshul mekol hanal. What is the um, spiritual corollary to everything we learned? Ba'or haner hagashmi, to the physical lamp. Yuvan akol ba'or laki, this can all be understood in the, the Divine light, Shabinishmas Adam, the soul of the person, especially since we call the soul literally the lamp of God. Okay, now, so this part, remember the verse, we had two parts of the verse? We're dealing with the first part. When God created us in his image, and his image is how the, how the divine light comes through into our soul via the four parts of the divine name, right? Now we're going to explain that what that means in the context of the analogy of an actual oil lamp. Okay. So it corresponds to both parts of it? Or just one? Well, or just uh, everything, everything. You'll see, you'll, 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 you'll see. Okay. This is not just an explanation of each individual Jew. This also explains the source of the Jewish souls, which is the sphere of Malchus of the world of Atzillus. Um. Basically like this. Um, every Jew is like a tiner miniature version of this spiritual level called Malchus of Atzilus. So Malchus of Atzilus is the spiritual level that is the bridge between Hashem's relationship, between Hashem and created reality. 
And that's a kind of on a universal scale. And then every individual Jewish soul is like that on a small individual scale. So this dynamic can be understood about your soul individually or about Hashem generally with the rest of the universe. Okay. The Hine it's known. Shakol Neshama Elokis, every divine soul, Yesh Lashur Shemokar Belakim Chaim, is rooted in the living God, Mokar Kol Chayin Neshamis, who is the source of the life of all the souls, Kamo Ata Varasa, as it says, you created, Yatsarta, you formed the Fachtabi, you blew it into me. Kamo Shikosav Orzuru Latsadik, or the verse says, a light was implanted in the righteous, Tsadik Elyim Batsadik Tachtain. There is an upper Tsadik and a lower Tsadik. And this is, as the verse says, your people are all righteous. They're all tzaddikim. Okay. What does this mean? Why is the godly soul called godly? We do not believe in a God who can be divided into pieces and everyone gets a little bit. Okay. That's heresy. Like, like, really? No, not okay. Okay. So, so the, the, the idea is that um, God can be revealed. So there's a way in which he is revealed. Every, uh, the godly soul. The revelation of him. Right, right, right. Re, the, 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 what the godly soul is, is a piece of the way God reveals himself. Now, what is the idea of a piece? If you have an apple, okay, and you give you a piece of the apple, is the piece of the apple any less apple-y than the original apple? No. So is the revelation in the, in the godly soul any less of a revelation of God than the kind of original revelation of God? No. On the other hand, if I give you a piece of an apple, is it a distinct piece from the original apple? So is the revelation in your soul a distinct revelation than the original revelation? Yes. And is the smaller piece smaller than the original? Okay, so it's, so there, there's kind of, there's two, there's two sides to this. On the one hand, it is just as much a revelation of God as the original. But on the other hand, it is distinct and smaller than the original. And that's what it means to be a chelak, a literal piece of God from above. It doesn't actually mean like God gets cut up into pieces. Revelation of God as the original revelation of God, but it is distinct and smaller in scope. Uh, Second. So now, what does that mean? That means if God's revelation... It, that means whatever, whatever, um, so God's revelation is like a light. Light reveals, right? Light is like the, like, so the light, it says, was implanted in the righteous. So our oil is a blessed body. One second, one second. So now there's two levels. There's two, in Kabbalah, there's two levels of righteousness, what's called the lower tzaddik and the upper, of the, uh, and the upper tzaddik. So how many kinds of light are there? Two. Two. And these types of two lights are pertain to each and every Jewish soul. Each and every Jewish soul has how many lights? Kinds of light? Two. Vehein, Bez, Gavne, or Hanal. This is the two types of light. Alf, Nuhura, Chavira. So now, what are the two types of light? 
The first one is the white light. It is literally godly light. Like it says, you illuminate my lamp. Or you are my lamp, Hashem. Is that the white light or the black? This is the white light. Okay, so the white light, just like the white light just shines purely, so too this is just a pure revelation of Hashem. It's called the upper tzaddik, the upper light, it's the white light. Um, he'll describe it, and then let me know if you've ever had this before, experienced this. Hainu, this is, Bechinus espayus elokus mamish. How do they translate here? Divine ecstasy, okay. It is the divine ecstasy, that's how they translate it. Shiyesh be'etzem, that exists in essence, behold, nitzutz katan should be a soul. That exists in every in 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 every small spark of the Jewish people. Lemaylam and atavadas klal, which is completely beyond any rational justification. Shemach mazeh hakoyach yochlim sur nafshei beechad ba'avarabba batenugim bechol nafshei. And it's because of this you have the power to give yourself over to the oneness of God with great love and a delight that consumes your whole being. Or to return to God with a complete shuva, and with the shuva that comes from the depths of your heart that consumes you. This is called the light that shines, which is, depends, as we said before, on the quality of the oil, right? If the oil is pure oil, light shines better. Okay. So, here's the thing. Have you ever been moved by God? What? Have you ever been moved by God? Yes. Psychologically yeah. moved. Yeah. Psychologically? Psychologically moved by God. And no. And well, have you ever watched... I was, I was at Meeks, but have you ever watched a movie? Yeah. Shame on you. Now, <laughs> have, you ever watched, have you ever watched a drama? Yeah. Okay. Did it move you? Yeah. Okay, so you know what it means to be moved psychologically? No, I don't mean that. I mean psychologically moved like you watched no, a drama. Yeah, like this, but when we're talking about this, when you like, like, One sec. Wait, wait, let me finish. Okay, now, have you ever been moved by God that you were so taken by God, so moved by God, that literally nothing else had any meaning for you anymore? Yes. For like a minute. Okay, now, remember we said about the, how the flame disappears? Okay. Um, have you ever had that in such a way that there wasn't anything about God that moved you? It was just God moved you. See, this is a little bit tricky. This is a little bit tricky. Okay, let me explain to you what I mean. Okay. Let me explain to you what I mean by, by explaining to you what I don't mean. <laughs> um, tell me something about God. He gives you everything you have. Indescri- okay. Indescribable. Okay. Here's the question. If God didn't give you everything you had and God was describable, would he still move you? Yes. What about him moves you? No. That we cannot understand know. him. Like meaning like that, no, no. That's no, something. Something. No, it could still move you. But that's just another thing about him. Yeah. Just is. Is there anything right. really about God? That's, okay, so this is, the white light is the sense that you have 
that God moves you so deeply and so totally that with God, you need nothing else. And without God, you have nothing. And that's it. It's not so complicated. And that's the white light. Correct. I agree with you. Well, we're going to talk about it, right? This is this is the interesting thing, right? That sense of God that touches a person that way can't just exist on its own. That's exactly the point. Just like the white light physically can't just exist. But wait, but isn't that so? Back up a second. You're saying Hashem. What did you just say about Hashem? I said to the, a sense of being moved by Hashem that you don't need, there's nothing else you need. With Hashem, that's, nothing about Hashem. Hashem himself, that's all you need. It's totally, totally consumes you. You don't want anything else. You don't need anything else. You don't desire anything else. And without Hashem, you have nothing. There's just, there's no, there's literally nothing for you. Okay? And he gives two examples. He gives an example of a person who is delighting in the existence of God and the person who is doing tshuva. By the way, um, a simple way to test if, if, if you, um, a simple way to test if, if, if you have this. Um, Do you sin? Well, see, yeah, but I'm actually going to go a little step higher than that. Do you think so? What? <laughs> like, no, have you ever, have you ever, have, has someone ever insulted you? Yeah. Did you feel offended? Yeah. So if you felt offended, that means you're not with this. Yeah. And this is the highest. Wait, why? But you have this power in you because you said it's. Yeah, it's within. Um, why? You wouldn't be able to embrace it, like that kind of thing. Why? Why we'll talk about? Why it wouldn't affect you? You could not be insulted. I didn't explain why. I'm just telling you that there's other discourses that say it's very clear. Like, 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 to get to this point, one one experiences things that make them immune to insults, to feeling disrespected. I didn't explain why. This is and. The, 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 the kind of counterintuitive thing about this is that this state is never happy. What? I feel like they're never happy then. Like the whole idea of that is that you're actually more they free. They don't want to be anything so that they're always looking to be more nothing. No. Right. No. Mm-hmm. A person a person who has this state isn't looking for anything. Mm-hmm. So that's not always looking to be more. No, this is not, the person who experienced this is not looking for anything. It means that your very sense of life and reality is permeated with that all there is is God and that's all there needs to be. So then why do you want to live? Because God wants to you, th- those, those, you don't want to live. You don't want to not live. Not long, what do you value? You don't value. Like, the, you're, the, the, those are things that disappear. Right. So they're like sad. No. They're in this 
No, because you, in other words, like this, in other words, like this. You're imagining, you, in other words, you're stuck in a framework of there's a notion of having that's, set it, that's contrasted with deprivation. If you move like this, there is no notion of having versus deprivation. They just want to be with God. You know, like, no. I don't know how to put it in words. That, that, that's very good, right? I would like you to describe, I would like you to describe light. Light that illuminates. Don't give me like physics to say photons and don't tell me what it does. Just describe, describe light. No, I'm serious. This is, no, this is actually very important. Describe the light. Like, give me this room, right? There's light that illuminates the room. Don't describe the, the light source, right? Describe the light itself. You can't. You can't. Can you experience it? In some sense, we, I, I want to illustrate a point. Light, illuminating light can't act. It's not, it's too ethereal. It's, it, 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 it's not a thing in the normal sense of being something tangible. Doesn't mean you can't experience it. I mean, turn off the lights, all of a sudden but see we, this. We're saying that you do have feelings towards it because they have love of it. And no, not your feelings towards it. It's more the other way around. It moves you. You, you, you are, you are, you are, the, your sense of everything is, is not, there isn't a, I want something and that's something that I want is God. But that's the, like working backwards, that is the result of this. No. Because a thought just wants to be with God and he has love and fear of God that are like raging feelings. And he's always like wanting more of that. So first off, who says that Sadiq always has this? When he does. So when he does. Okay, so then when he does, he is sad. He just wants to be. No. 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 The, 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 these. The, where does that come in? Like, where do the emotion? You're saying that you're. I don't know yet. I want to describing this. I'm not going to explain how it fits with that. What this is describing is a state where Hashem's being. That's it. Moves you completely, totally. Okay? There's nothing left of you outside that sense. You have no, nothing else going on in your psyche at all. And that takes two forms. There's the form of a person who's experiencing that in a kind of a sense of being with God. And there's someone who experiences in a sense of returning to God, depending on context. If it comes from righteousness, it's with being with God. If it comes through the process of truth, it's a sense of returning to God. That's why they describe it as a divine ecstasy. Yes. And, and it's also, also, they'll talk about it being ayin, being a nothing. Because you can't, you can't put descriptive terms to it. Um, the, 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 uh, one of the things that Chassidah says, that even the notion of having like a desire where you want something even that would melt away in this sense. There's just kind of a pure sense of God's being that you're, perfect. That you're somehow, yeah, that, that, that permeates you, that you're subsumed in, and every Jewish soul has, has that within them. Well, if it were to be revealed, this is, you would feel this way. No. How this, I guess, feeling makes you well, if you've had this feeling, it would definitely affect you even when it goes away. But that's another discussion. And we're saying all this is only possible because of everything else. 
before. Right. Okay. So that that that's so, well. It follows from the fact of the analogy. In other words, you the key thing here is what he's saying is this: you cannot achieve this state. It's not a state you can just be in. Just like the white light, which is the which is the which is the kind of the whole point of that lamp, the white light light can't just exist. This state cannot just exist. Right. So now I'm going to say something that's going to sound really mystical. The white light in this, if you're in this, if you have that white light, it, you don't need anything, right? right? Can the white light exist on its own? No. It needs all this other stuff. Right. So we need all this other stuff so that we realize we don't need anything. There is a reason why Hasidus is called mysticism. Right. In other words, if you don't devote your life to getting the stuff that you need for the white light, will you ever get the white light? No. But when you get the white light, do you feel like you got something? No. Because no. No. You, you don't need anything. So one of the things he's going to get to is the limits of using your psyche to get here. So it's more, it's conceptual. I'm saying like... No, it's both. Okay. There's a, you have to learn this stuff. Like you can't understand without learning. And we're also just kind of learning this like on a very superficial level. I want to point that out. I'm just kind of going through this. Not like going in depth. No, but I just don't want to take it as an assumption. One second, one second. Just keep in mind, just keep in mind. This experience you cannot have unless you have the dark light, right? Yeah. One that's second. Whole, so that's, that's a whole second. other concept also of like, you can't have pure happiness without having some of the sound. Wait, wait, wait. Do we don't even know what the dark light is yet. I know. I'm just, that's okay. Is this like the prompt? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's my question. That was my question. No. Was the question. second kind of flame. Wait, wait, I want to at least get through this little bit of a paragraph. So. Okay. Vahabes. Okay. I want to read this paragraph and then we'll be done for today. Vahabes. Esha Shachar is the dark light. Shu Sarifu Machle. And what does it do? It burns and consumes, right? The white light doesn't really interact with the wick at all. Keep that in mind, right? It's kind of hovering above. But the dark light, what does it do to the wick? It burns and consumes. This is the idea of how the godly soul clothes itself in the natural vitalizing soul, which is rooted in a spiritual thing called which contains positive and negative elements. This is the idea of being moved by a godly comprehension that happens in your human mind, in your physical brain, 
and your emotions with the natural heat. Of the natural inclinations of a person who are tend towards evil from the youth. To be drawn after every negative trait. Now, there's human beings have a natural human cognition, and we have a natural emotional tendency to be drawn after negative things. And when the soul is able to use those things as ways of being moved by God, that we're moved by God within our human reasoning, or moved by God by our human reasoning, and we're moved by God emotionally in the same way we're moved by our temptation to, to do evil things emotionally. That's for sure limited. In other words, like this. Can you just have that white light? No. In order to have that white light, you have to understand, the soul has to get you to understand God in a way that that understanding of God is impactful on a human level so that you're emotionally moved by God on a human level. And that's the black fire upon which the white fire, everything's working properly. So now let me answer your question. If a tzaddik does not cultivate a very human um, experience of God, cognitively and emotionally that moves him, that sways him, that changes him, that has all the dynamism of human experience, but yet permeated with an awareness of God that only the soul can provide. If that doesn't take place, this white light will never manifest. And then when it goes away, he does feel sad. If the white light disappears, he'll feel sad or the loss of the white light. No, they're not. They're not. There's a human experience that your understanding of God, your conception of God, your awareness of God, that, that manifests through, through human cognition and expresses itself emotionally the same way that you're naturally drawn to all sorts of negative things. That comes from the soul finding a way to express itself in the human being, in the, what's called the animal soul. And that's the black fire. In other words, if a person does not cultivate an awareness of God that moves them intellectually and emotionally on a human level, then this higher, transcendent sense of God will never be able to manifest. That means that the godly soul needs Correct! You got it. Okay. So why would anyone isolate light? What? Like on a rational level, no one would want that white light. Why not? Because right. then it gets rid of all of your own. No, you want that white light. And that's why you have an animal soul. Like, it's way more enjoyable to like, have God in your insight and your emotions than to just really have God and then not feel it. And you're just God. If you're like, I know it's a more mature and like, Higher desire, but like on a regular human level, why would That's why most people don't attain it. Um, let me put it to you like this. If you are drawn to something because that something actually is important to you, it will be a very different journey and process than if you're drawn to something because of the experience that you want. And I'll give you a very simple example. People need to eat. Very simply, if they don't eat, they get sick and die. When you're drawn to food, you're drawn to actually have the food, right? Okay. The, what do we say the soul is? The soul, right, the soul is this 
revelation is, is, is a little piece of God revealing himself. So the soul is drawn to God. Now, where's that revelation truly taking place? In the white light or the dark light? The white. But can you have the white light on its own? No. So you need the dark light. But you could also get... One second, one second, one second, one second, one second, one second. Now, the minute you engage the dark light though, right? So you have the animal soul and the other things, right? And the parents are going to go on to say, things can get complicated. And if now what's motivating you, what's driving this whole journey is not the divine soul, but your, but your animal soul has somehow decided to develop, instead of a, 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 a desire to indulge in physical pleasures or intellectual pleasures, to indulge in kind of some sort of mystical pleasure, then you're right. You're going to end up warping and corrupting everything 100%. The Mittler Rebbe wrote a whole discourse about that. How the desire to have experience, spiritual experience corrupts the entire journey, 100%. There's a verse that says, oh, verses by heart. Okay, I'll find the verse one second and then we'll end the class. It's so chill, what the heck? Because you want to make it look desirable so that people choose it, but then once it becomes desirable, they're choosing it because it's desirable, not because Well, that's part of the. That, that's part of what makes Chabad a, a, a difficult spiritual practice. Is that the key in it is not to want it for how it appears, but for what it really is. Um, okay, one second. It's a verse. It's a verse from Mishle. Okay, The fool does not seek. Insight or understanding, but rather the revelation of his heart. He doesn't want to actually connect to the truth of things. He wants to have the experience. That's a sign of a fool. And that, that's the, the Mittler Rebbe in his discourse about how the different kind of stages of this journey look and how, you know, different things. One, the thing he says, the, the kind of the first thing that destroys everything, the first kind of spiritual stage, he says, that should be kind of stage at all, is where you want the experience of, of something instead of the thing itself. But we're not on the level to want the thing itself. That was well, then maybe we have to work on that first. But wait, that's the level of Dr. Rabbit. No one else said that. No, no, no. Like, I want you alone. I don't want your grenade and all that. Like, the the Tzemach said the reason why the Alter Rebbe said that um, so it, it, it is because that does something. That, it's not the Rebbe said. I don't know. But it said that the reason Alter Rebbe said that and the reason it was publicized is because that is, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an educational statement. It's not a statement about how great the Alter Rebbe was. 